You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition terminal ascent. Now, the terminal ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The terminal ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet, and it comes in a variety of cartridges, including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06, and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com. And while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. Joining me today is my co-host, Micah. What's going on, brother? Nothing. Just another day. It's October. Leaves are changing. Acorns are dropping. We're having cold fronts and heat waves all all in one. Yeah. So, how's your season going so far? Yeah. I mean, it's been fun. I've I've only went twice, unfortunately. Um, like we talked about in previous episodes, I'm trying to be a little smarter this year mm-hmm. yep. and not just go to go. So we had some colder weather come through what, like last weekend, mm-hmm. I was, which was the first part of uh, October. Yeah. Which, and I wasn't busy. So I, I went Saturday night and, uh, saw some deer. Uh, then I went Sunday again with my son, uh, chase and then saw some deer again but never anything that I wanted to take. And what kind of sucks is that I think that cold front came through like on Friday, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I, I checked my camera Saturday when I went there, and one of the bucks I'm after was standing in front of my tree stand at 6.30 Friday night. On Friday night? Yeah, and I was yeah. busy. I mean, that's that's the way it goes, though. You're not going to get the way the time. cookie crumbles. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I spent my weekend, we actually went up to the farm, uh, the property that uh, I go up north, and we had a bunch of work to do to get ready for the. I mean, we go up there for rifle season, but a few of us we take our bows with us, mm-hmm. and uh, we got up there Friday. We went straight to work Friday. We weren't able to get any uh, hunting done uh, that evening, but I hunted Saturday morning. Got skunked. We I really thought it was going to be a good set. We just sat that stand that night, and it, it was over some buck bedding. And uh, didn't end up seeing anything that next morning, uh, which it could have been just from us putting the stand in and they haven't gotten used to it yet or whatever. But then that evening, uh, I was able to sit and I saw quite a few deer. I think I had five doe and there was two little eights and a little spike. And I think I posted the video actually on our Instagram. As soon as I got into the stand, I literally walked up the stand, put my bag down turn around and that buck that little button buck is standing at the edge of the you know the plot <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> did you watch me get up this thing i mean and he came by later too and he walked right by so it, it was it was pretty pretty cool so 
Yeah. Yeah, and then Sunday, Sunday, uh, hunting Sunday morning, and I had a doe come, and I was going to – it was a different piece, and another guy was hunting just down the way, and we were just like, okay, we'll shoot a doe after 9 o'clock. Well, that doe came like 8 or something like that in the morning, and I drew back on her, but I, I never got a good shot, so I was like, okay, well, we're going to let it go. But, yeah, it, it was still we – got, we got all the work done that we wanted to get done and saw deer when we went hunting. So, I mean, yeah. it's – Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is seeing yeah. deer. I mean, it kind of sucks because I'm, I'm getting itchy because by this time any other year, I have hunted quite a bit, a lot more, mm-hmm. and I – want to go again next week but it got hot all of a sudden and i would not be doing myself favors by going in there next week yeah. so it's supposed to i think cool down i think friday well i'll be out of town for work anyway but i think friday uh it's supposed to cool down again depending on what the wind's doing i might try again next week at the end of the week so yeah it's just one of them deals i mean it's the start of the season i'm trying not to go crazy yet it's just the beginning of october mm-hmm. um but we still, anyway, we got a little bit of time, you know, obviously, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to try it. Like I'm kind of waiting on a little bit cooler weather. Just mainly, I still think the deer are moving because I don't know if you noticed, but the moon's been overhead most of these days and stuff like that. And they, they say that's, uh, usually gets them up, but I'm, I don't enjoy sweating out in the tree stand. So <laughs> probably just going to wait till it cools off a little bit before I get out there again. Yeah. Yeah, no, but uh, today's episode's a good one. Um, got a Tales of the Chase, and it's, it is a, a really great story. Today we talk with Greg Gleisinger of Jury Outdoors about his awesome buck that he harvested. Uh, October 1st. October it? 1st, uh, a 233-inch monster that he's been after for, um, for a while, and he was able to get it done, and so I mean, we, we get to hear the story. He's n- I mean, he's known the deer uh since four two, years yeah since 2017 or something like that so yeah. he's got a lot of history with it and it all came together and he breaks it down obviously uh during the episode but everything that, that he did he was very cautious and i mean he did what he had to do to get it done and i mean he got it the first time he went out for him so you know yep that's he, he knew he knew what he was doing yeah that's a that's a good thing. So, uh, before we get into the episode, we want to talk about our giveaway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's a cool little giveaway we're doing. We've got a uh, a Tacticam Reveal cell, cell camera that we're giving away. Mm-hmm. And it has got to be one of the easiest giveaways to enter in the history it's, of the world. I know, for me personally, any giveaway I've seen, you got to do 13 different things before you actually enter. This one is, it's got to be the easiest. Yeah. So, to enter in a giveaway, you... All you got to do is post a picture of yourself hunting or some success you've had, whether it's a doe, buck, we don't care. We just want to see it. Turkey, coyote, yeah. whatever's in legal season. Or if you're just out in the stand uh, trying to get it done. Yeah. And all you have to do is tag us in the picture and use our hashtag, uh, Missouri Woods and Water. And that is it. Yeah, that way we can get your name and that automatically puts you in the drawing. So, but if you have, but to, there's more, there's more, there's bonuses. If you happen to have a hat of ours, one that, of our Missouri woods and water, one hats. of our Missouri woods and water, and that's part of the picture, then you, your name gets entered five times. Yeah. So, and 
we ha- now we have some we have a- orange and camo ones. So I know a lot of the other hats we have, you know, they're not, I don't know if they're necessarily hunter friendly. <laughs> so we do have some hunting friendly ones, especially the orange ones. The orange ones are going to go great for rifle season. I mean, so. Yeah. You know, and we have a limited mind. supply of those. So if you, if you don't have a hat and you want to buy one, just DM us or whatever yeah. and. But uh, I mean that's just too. that's just a little add-on. You don't have to buy anything to do nope, this. All we don't you, care. We we just want to see you guys out in the woods. Uh, we want to see those does. We want to see the bucks. We want to see whatever harvest you had, and we also just want to see you out in the woods enjoying the great outdoors. So yeah. just make sure you tag us in that photo, and use the hashtag Missouri Woods and Water. And, and that'll run through rifle season. So it's over. I think midnight on November twenty-second. Yes. And yeah. that's it. We'll yeah. just do a drawing after that and we'll, yeah, you can we'll, win a free cell camp. Yeah, let's get into the episode. How about that? Yeah, let's do it. All right, this is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Okay. All right, we got a great one today. Another Tales of the Chase, Whitetail Edition. Got my... Brother-in-law Micah today. What's, What's up, man? going on, guys? Today our guest is Greg Glessinger with Drury Outdoors. Today we have a, a story about a giant deer. Um, it's unreal how big it is. Unreal, yeah. Uh, if I ever even get the opportunity to see a deer of that caliber, I might just crap I, my pants. Yeah, but, I mean, that's one of those, you know, you hear people like whenever they first go and they just freeze. I'm pretty confident. I mean, I'm a seasoned, I would consider myself seasoned hunter and I would freeze sure. in that situation <laughs> for sure. But, but it's a, it's a story that uh, is a, a great story because of the history that Greg has with this deer. And we, we are lucky enough to have Greg on with us today to talk about this story. So Greg, how's it going? Great, man. I appreciate the opportunity you guys have me on. The stuff is always fun. Yeah. This is our favorite part about this podcast is listening to those stories so, um, before we get into it, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, tell everybody what you do with Drury Outdoors. Um, one thing I usually like to ask the guest is what is your favorite thing? Since you're not from Missouri, we'll, we'll ask it a little more generically. What is your favorite thing about the outdoors? Okay, sure. Well, let's start more, uh, a little bit about myself. So, uh, born and raised in Papillion, Nebraska, which is a suburb of Omaha, and for those of you guys who are, are follow the Armed Forces, uh, SAC Air Force Base, which is the largest Air Force uh, command base, um, is just uh, east of my house and east of where I grew up, or where my dad's family farmed still is today, which he still farms at the age of 80. So I was uh, born and raised in the city, but we uh, raised crops um, and was a grain farmer my entire life, helping my dad on the farm. And then uh, I actually got some ties to Missouri because I actually moved uh, to, went to college in Maryville, Missouri, which is home of the Bearcats, uh, Northwest Missouri State. Yeah, yeah. the Bearcat. That's yeah. where I went to college. I got a few so, friends that graduated from there. Yeah. And some that just went no, there I'm, for a time being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great school. A lot of fun. If I could do it all over again, I would. I wouldn't change a thing. I loved it. It was a great experience. Um, and then uh, through through jobs and and opportunities with uh, 
I meet my girlfriend that's now my wife. I met her in Papillion, and, and she, uh, you know, they always say once you get down one of your favorite dough, you don't cut them loose. Well, <laughs> that was me. That was me, and she uh, drugged me up to, uh, uh, we live in a small town just east of Madison, Wisconsin, called Cambridge, about 13 miles due east, a uh, town of about 2,200 people. And um, it's actually her her brother is actually who turned me on to bow hunting. So I was born and raised a waterfowl, upland bird guy, a lot of pheasant and quail my whole life. Um, Didn't have a lot of deer where where we lived, but we had a lot of pheasants and quail and then uh, mixed in the waterfowl. And did that in college as well with some fraternity brothers. Uh, Chased those guys all weekend long. And then when I met Lisa, um, her brother, was a bow hunter and I had no experience or never even drew back a bow matter of fact and we were up visiting him which was in northern Minnesota a, a small town called uh, uh, by Akeley Minnesota which is not far from Walker or Leech Lake for those of you that know Minnesota well gotcha um, and uh, he was out shooting his bow the very first time I met him he was in his backyard shooting his bow and he had just just got it like a few days before that and he said and he's about the same size as myself and he said hey would you like to shoot it i'm like i sure that walk, walked me through what i need to do never done it and kind of gave me the one-on-one and i released the first arrow and lisa was standing there and she must have saw the look on the face and she said you don't need another hobby <laughs> and uh, and uh how wrong she was because it's my favorite hobby now so um, you know, it, it goes back to what I, what I love about the outdoors. Um, you know, I think it comes back to the people you surround yourself and how you're introduced to whatever it may be. And I was lucky enough to be introduced to the outdoors with, um, uh, my cousins and my uncles were very avid outdoorsmen. Uh, my father wasn't much of one because when he was a child, they actually chased game to put on the table, and if they didn't, they didn't eat. So, so their was, outlook on game was a, a little bit different than ours. Sure. Uh, it was more of a survival than a sport. Um, so, uh, but his, his brother was still very passionate about it, and he had three sons. Um, and they took me in, and uh, I was the youngest. And Without those guys, I think my outdoor experience would be completely different, if if not non-existent. And um, so that was start with the the birds and the upland, and then met John, my brother-in-law, got into bow hunting, and then you know when I got into bow hunting, and then moving into Wisconsin, uh, the bird hunting uh, here was pretty much non-existent. I would call it a nature walk up here for for uh, bird <laughs> hunting, um, and so. When I got introduced to bow hunting, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is – I just fell in love with the fly of the arrow. Just the whole thing about it was just – I don't know. It was just numbing to me. It was so so um, addictive and haven't put it down since, and that's been my number one drive of – yes, we do go gun hunting. We do it for more or less uh, doe management and herd management, and we, we might shoot a, a deer or two or a buck a year with a, with a, with a gun, but – uh, we use it more for management tool than anything. Our true passion is, you know, the fly of the arrow and chasing them with a with a stick and string. So um, that kind of covers it, really. From, yeah. 
you know, as far as the love of the outdoors, it's, it's getting away from cell phones and iPads and, you know, the daily, the daily work of grind, um, that we all face, um, in the world world. And it's, uh, great for the soul, man. When you climb 20 feet in the tree, you, you clean your mind out a lot and yeah. uh, get in touch with yourself and what's important in life. And it's, uh, it's really, really, uh, I guess important for me and, 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 what I do now is, is when I come home from a hunting trip, I think I'm a better person. Uh, my wife has mentioned that many times. Um, it's, a, it's like a renewed spirit. I just get spirit. away and yeah. yes, uh, however you want to call it. Um, sure, uh, I'll go with it. It's um, it's just different. I don't know. It just cleans the soul, and it's it's uh, very much a part of who I am now. And and I'm not going to apologize one minute for it. And I'm going to introduce as many people as I can to the sport because it's it's uh it's life-changing for me it's uh made me a better person it's opened up a lot of doors i've built some of my best relationships come from being 20 feet in the tree some of my best friends now are all based around bow hunting or you know behind the camera or whatever it may be and when you spend that much time with somebody or a group of people who are that passionate about the outdoors um you become really tight and some of those are my best friends to date, and yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. No, I agree with you, and it's it's funny. You'll get a kick out of this story, Greg. I, I pretty much got started the same way as you did with my brother-in-law, not this one sitting next to me, but my wife's brother. Um, I got into bow hunting through him, and I grew up similar to you. I grew up more fishing than anything with my dad. We grew up in the city, and uh, okay. I, I didn't even know what really hunting was until I was in my 20s. Russell introduced me to a bow for the first time, and the first time I ever shot his bow, I took about half the skin off on my left forearm. <laughs> and uh, he, he knew it, too, and he let me do it, and I must have liked it enough to keep shooting that night. And uh, that was pretty much the beginning of the end for me. Uh, so he's a lot taller than me, so I was shooting a bow that was mm. way bigger than it needed to be. <laughs> but um, oh, that's kind a, of a funny story. Yeah, that's usually how we all start out. My first bow, I'm pretty sure the draw link was at least three inches longer <laughs> than what it needed to be. But, I mean, and we still I stuck with it and did the same. So. Yeah. So um, to get into this a little bit, Greg, you and I talked earlier today, and I thought it was really cool. Um Tell people kind of how you got started with the jury outdoors, and and that's a really cool story, in my opinion, to kind of show your, uh, we'll call it evolution, because I don't, I can't think of another sure. word, into the outdoor space, and uh, that, I think that's pretty cool. Sure, you know, it, it got introduced from a mutual friend. Brian Thompson was a currently a, a a jury outdoors team member at the time, and he was a local friend of mine that I had met through another mutual friend and we got put together because we were two gentlemen that were obsessed with, with bow hunting and whitetails. And then, uh, I got to know Brian and, and then, uh, uh, Brian had introduced me to Mark Drury and it was just more or less a, an acquaintance type situation. And, um, so we had, we had contact each other now and again, nothing formalized at all. And, um, one year, well, it was, uh, I got to think about this. So today's 2020, so 2010, so it'd have been 2000, 2007 or 2008. Um, I shot a deer that was 163 inch, 163 and seven eighths, I believe. Um, 
And at the time, that's back when they were doing the DVDs, if you remember that, yeah, that sure. timeline. When, yep. um, you know, the DVD world was pretty hot and TV wasn't as popular as it is now. And uh, that deer would have been the largest deer shot that year. And he called me up and he said, you know, I really, Brian speaks very highly of you. You're passionate about it. Obviously, you're, you're laying some big stuff down. You know, if I would have had you on a team, it would have been the number one buck this year you know, on camera, would you ever think about filming? And, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really just not all that interested um, because I was just so obsessed with, with scent control. And, you know, when you have a camera guy in the tree, it's, it's double movement, it's double sound, it's double scent, it's everything times two. And I was just so, I guess, anal about everything that I did to be successful. I just didn't really want to I guess, insert another body into that equation. And so the next one, next year came by and I shot like a 154, 155. He calls me again. He says, Hey, I really want you on the team. And I said, nah, I'm really not all that interested. He said, well, here, here's what I want to do. I want to send you a camera guy and see what you think. Let's, you know, uh, uh, put him up in the tree with you. He'll follow you around for, I don't know, it was a week or nine days, whatever we agreed upon. And I said, okay, fine. Well, at the time, I was a PSC pro staff shooter, so I didn't need any equipment because they were shooting PSEs at the time. So um, he just sent me some clothes and some other stuff, nothing major, just enough to film with. And so we climbed the tree and started the whole thing, and uh, we killed a 154 that year. And... Uh, that was the start of it all. And then the next year he called me back. He said, we want to do it again. I said, okay, fine. Let's do it again. They set another camera up. And then we shot like a one, I think it was a 157 or 158. Might've been 160, something like that. And uh, then he said, okay, enough's enough. Now you got to figure this out on your own. You've proven it. You know, you can do this and we want to have you and that whole type of thing. And sure. So that's kind of where it all started. And, and, you know, it was one of those things that I had no desire, no whatsoever uh, to do it. And then after having two years of a guy in, in the tree, um, it, my thought process had completely changed because it was really interesting. After each set, we would sit down and we would talk about what we should do the, the next day or the next morning or the approach, the ideas and became a chess match, not with myself and the deer, but it become more of a we thing than an I thing. And so I would share ideas and thoughts with the camera guy and he would agree or disagree. And by the end of the night, we would always come out with a better plan than what we started with, because obviously two minds are better than one. And so that was the, that was, and still is uh, today. My favorite part of this whole thing is kind of like what I was telling Nate this, um, today on the prep of the call was, you know, if you, if you go out and you win the lottery and you win it yourself, there's, it's really not all that special. You don't have anybody to share it with, but when you're, when you're in the fight and you're in the trenches and you're battling and you're struggling and you go through the highs and lows and the, and the journey that we all go through every fall. And when you achieve something, it's so much more enjoyable. The highs are so much higher because you've got somebody riding shotgun with you. And that's the part that I really fell in love with. And ever since then, uh, since 2008, whatever it is, 2009, um, I've never been in a tree 
without somebody left or right of me. As yeah, far that's as cool. deer hunting or any anything with a gun or a bow, I just haven't done it. Not that I wouldn't, um, but we are so dedicated to jury outdoors that we make sure that there's a you know we have a camera and we're filming and all that stuff. But it's more about the camaraderie of of the we and not the I that has really and and the documenting. Uh, you know, I've got Derek's way back to his hunts when he was seven or eight on his first Missouri hunts. And, you know, that, that video to me is absolutely priceless. So we've documented his, his becoming a man and becoming from a youth hunter to an adult hunter all in front of the camera. And when it was first happening, it didn't have much value to me, but when I pulled it out here, now he's a senior in high school, um, pulled it out here just uh, last year when watched through footage. I mean, he was just a little, a little kid, Yeah, you know, and, and now it's, it's hilarious. He laughed at himself. Well, if I didn't, if I didn't, wasn't carrying a camera around, I, I would have never documented that. And so that to me was another value that I never even thought of. It just kind of happened. And so now we're so into this so deep that um, I'm not saying I would, I would, you know, quit or go away. I just can't see myself not doing it. Even if I didn't do it for DOD or another production team or somebody else, I think I would probably always do it just to have because it is truly priceless, um, I guess, documenting history of yourself and your family or your loved ones that you'll, you'll regret not having 5, 10, 15 years down the road. So there's more to this that I didn't see value in that originally got me into this so it's paid back you know tenfold yeah and micah has talked about the crum the camaraderie you build with people um and if you really think about this right even if you weren't filming when you shoot uh let's say a, a nice buck or you get you know, a buck down that's your target buck what are you looking forward to more after you've taken that shot is it placing your hands on those antlers or is it the phone calls you're making to your best friends, your brothers, your wife, whoever, to me, those are almost as much fun as placing your hands on that, that deer when you touch, when you touch them for the first time. And it's because of those relationships you build out in the outdoors. Um, and you're right. Yeah. When you're in the trenches or whatever you want to call it with those people, um, that's what makes the outdoors even more enjoyable than if you were doing it by yourself. So yeah, hundred percent agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. So story time. We're excited about this. (laughs) Let's get into it. So we've got a freak of a deer here, um, that, uh, Greg was able to put down. Um, what day, let's see, did you harvest him on October 2nd? What was the date for people? October 1st. October 1st. October 1st. Um, so the deer's nickname is triple play and, Folks will see a photo of him, and also just so everybody knows, uh, this was caught on camera as well. So we will let Greg tell everybody where they can uh, see that video as well. Um, At some point in this call, he can say it now or or later as well. But um, an awesome story with a great backstory. Um, So first, let us congratulate you because once people see these photos... um, I mean that's a once in a lifetime type deer. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't no so. doubt about it. It's a gorgeous deer, a deer that Greg has had um, some history with. So um, before we get into it, why don't we just explain kind of what your thoughts were going into this season? Um, 
and you don't even have to really surround them around this deer, but was he on your mind um, when the season started? He was on our mind come basically the end of June. Uh, once we started getting trail pics, reconic pictures back in, uh, we ha- we got some pretty good pictures of him late June, and then mid and late July is when I was like, oh my gosh, this is a very special and unique whitetail that um, every year, uh, Casey Morgan, who is uh, my camera guy, and then if he's obviously behind the ball, I'm, I'm his camera guy, so we're kind of two peas in a pod when you look at it that way. But when we're going through the, 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 the pictures, you know, he, he became without question our, our number one focus, not because of, of score, but also age. We, we know that he is for sure six. Um, he very well could be seven. And so that's what we try to, to target um, when we sort through all of our picks is we start with the six-year-olds or seven-year-olds and then work our way down uh, depending on, you know, uh, where are they at, where they live, and, you know, are they potentially, you know, deer we can actually hunt because of where they live and their travel travel patterns. So, but when this guy came out um, in in late June, July, it, it become all-consuming to understand his pattern and understand what what and how we're going to potentially harvest or, or hunt him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we we – constantly we're checking cameras and and looking to see if he was still around and unfortunately you know we had a a true uh rude awakening because in uh august uh well yeah so eight twenty six, um we lost we lost him it was the last picture that we had and so for the next 25 days we were I thought through that shedding or through the velvet shedding process, um, I thought he had, he had left the farm. And so our stress was through the roof. And I was telling myself and Casey that it's as, he's as good as gone and we need to focus our attention on somebody else or another deer in which we started to do. And then, um, luck be habit, uh, he showed back up on camera on nine twenty. So call it 25 days of, pure anxiety um but i i i just assumed he had left the farm and moved off because sometimes when those go through that velvet process when they shed like that they they do move sometimes you lose 10 percent of your bucks sometimes you move you lose 40 or 50 percent it all just depends there's no rhyme or reason to it it just is what it is and so when he showed back up on 920 i was like oh my gosh we're in the game we we have a fairly good idea so we were coming back from our, our elk trip and we um, completely talked about him the entire time. And once we got back, we put the plan in place, which is uh, we flanked him with, with more cameras, um, added four more cameras to the area. And believe it or not, he was uh, only on two mm-hmm. and he was on two different plots, one on the North and one on the South. And in the middle, was a wooded section that we had recently uh, did a bunch of TSI work. So I think, you know, note to self, um, being a land cons- uh, conservationist and a land manager, I guess, like a better word for it, paid off because I think once he found that new bedding area, he fell in love with it and he, and he didn't leave. Um, we, 
I estimate that he was bouncing between a plus or minus 80-acre section of the farm um, because the, we had cameras everywhere, and he was only on two. Um, and so once we figured all that out, uh, unfortunately for us, uh, this deer was living truly dead middle of the farm. When I say north, south, east, and west, and you drop a pin in the middle of our farm, you couldn't have dropped it any more middle. So our access was going to be absolutely horrible. Um, so uh, um, to backtrack, uh, to give you the full story, yeah, I told Casey that last summer we needed to put a money blind on a trailer just in case of emergency for last-minute adjustments if we ever needed something to make a move on something. Well, now's the time because we did not have a set down there. And I looked at him and I said, remember all that work we did a summer ago with the muddy trailer or the muddy on the trailer? He goes, yeah. And I go, well, that's where we're going to put it. And, um, cause we didn't have time. And so we, uh, lifted, took the John Deere tractor with forks, lifted that trailer cause we wanted to minimize noise, minimize, uh, I guess, uh, any intrusion we could possibly do, do. And as you, in my experience, and, and I assume some, some of your listeners would agree with you, agree with me is anytime you go on a farm and you're in a tractor, deer really don't spook or really mind it at all. It's, it's when you get out of the cab that it becomes a problem. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to put this trailer on the forks of, of the tractor and we're going to drive this thing all the way in uh, to this spot instead of having it pulled by a truck. And I said, when we get out, we've got to put these jacks down to stabilize. To stabilize, or we're going to leave the truck, uh, the tractor running to obviously cover our sound. And so we had the system pretty well dialed in and had it all talked about before we got there, and got the blind set down, put the jacks down, and and got out of there. Um, and then, in doing so, we we made made the uh, the idea that if we're going to go down there, we're going to mow some trails for deer movement so if you've noticed over the years with jury outdoors you, you will notice that you can kind of sometimes sometimes manipulate deer movement by mowing trails through grass or wherever it may be and more often than not deer are lazy and they'll take those mowed paths sure. so yep. we had the three we had the three point mower on the back of that uh, uh, tractor so we got the blind done and then we mowed uh, a couple trails coming out of the wood section that we knew he was bedding in. And so we put uh, a trail that would be uh, due west of the bean field and then one that was due east of the bean field called a Y. Um, and then that one due east of the bean field would take him in front of our blind, roughly 23, 24 yards away, um, and then took it all the way up through the beans and to like a kind of an L shape where the beans started and moved to a different direction. So, and then got out of there. So we placed that blind, I think it was five days before, so call it the 25th or 26th of, of September is when we did that work. And then we got out of there and, and um, started talking about access. And when we got that blind down there, um, I, had, I had a blind down there about 10 or 11 years ago, and it got washed away because of a massive rainstorm that hadn't been back. 
And so I knew the area well, and I knew why he was there because it was thick and nasty and he was close to food. In this particular case, it was a bean field. And I knew the creek well, uh, and I was like, Casey, you know, when we're going to get in and out of this thing is we're going to have to walk, you know, 750 yards through this creek bed, which is going to be a beautiful thing because one, he won't, there's no way he could smell us. There's no way he could see us. And then where we put the blind is there's a draw that comes out of this creek right to the base of the blind. So we're not going to be exposed, but maybe 10, 15, 20 feet, maybe. Right. Um, and until we get on the blind. So, um, the, the night before, you know, we're, we were or two, two nights before we're checking the weather. I'm like, okay, look at this cold front. This is, this is going to be the, you know, magic of all magic cold fronts. It's going to be roughly 20 to 25 degree lower temps than traditional for October 1st. So we know they're going to be on their feet. We needed a, a, a Northwest wind, which it was coming. And, it was pressure was going to be north of 30. I'm like, you know what? Um, if there's a day to do this, let's do it. I mean, it's October 1st. We'll go in the afternoon, walk the creek, and um, climb up. And they're still in their bachelor groups. And uh, to top it all off, which I think was a huge part of our success, the bean field that we're sitting over, the far north side of it was completely, completely brown, meaning it was browned out. So as you all know, that when beans start to turn to brown, they move either to green plots or to other bean fields that are still green. Well, as our bean field transitions to the south, where our, where our blind is set up, we saw beans in front of us that are kind of brown, kind of green, but they're not fully brown yet. So I'm like, there's a perfect spot. We've, we've got everything lined up for us to go to go uh to go in there on october 1st so obviously we did uh the long walk and uh, we went in there super early and uh i think we got in the blind by i think it was 2 45 or three o'clock um nice. and got set got settled in and we had a, a few uh, young bucks come out and some does now i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt you real quick and hit and the then, pause button on the story yeah go ahead so, so sure. before we get into the uh, the hunt that day, you obviously were were after him in 2020. Um, you and I talked a little bit today about your your history with him. Had you hunted yeah. him? I know you said uh, I think today you said you'd you'd seen him or at least knew him since 2017. Had had you That's actively correct. hunted him before this year? Um, and was there anything you noticed from previous years as far as your encounters with him that were the same or, or did you notice a change in his behaviors or patterns from whatever year you, you really started paying attention to him until obviously this year? Sure. Um, yeah, we, we had trail pictures from 17, 18, 19, and then obviously 20. Um, my wife found his sheds in 2000 spring of 2018 those sheds were much farther away i would say probably 60 acres away from where he was bedding now in 2020 we did not hunt him until this this fall um we had other deer 
in 2019, we were chasing a deer we called wide load um, that went 175. And then the year before that, in 2018, we chased a deer that uh, was extra innings that went 239. So you could see why he wasn't on our radar. Yeah, it wasn't on Um, the top at least. Yeah, he wasn't at the top. And and when you see these these pictures from the previous years, you'll 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 notice that he makes a substantial jump. And I'm and without you know you, you can kind of judge, um, but you, it's really hard to measure mass on on trail pictures. But you know from from 18 to 19, if I had to do a rough guess, he jumped a minimum minimum of. 40 inches, maybe as much as 60 inches um, from 19 to, to 20. So he made a substantial change. It was the first time he had grown uh, a third main beam, um, and his mass was through the roof this year compared. Last year was good, but not like this year. Wow. Um, so he had just a lot more trash coming off. And that's why I think he may be seven instead of six, because I've seen this happen before um, when they get to that age. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the history of him. But he his core area had definitely shrunk from 17 to 18 and from 18 to 19. And then from 19 to 20 is when it really uh, it didn't change much from 17 to 18 to 19. There, he was all roughly in the same area, call it, oh, a 200-acre, 240-acre section of, of the farm. Um, but in 2020, he was maybe in 80 acres. So as they age, they seem to they seem to shrink their core area, and he definitely followed that that protocol. Yeah, yeah, that and seems so, that seems uh, to we, be the uh, uh, seems to be the theme when it comes to these older class deer. You would think. You know, most deer, you know, the few hundred acres or whatever, but as soon as they hit that certain age, you know, the six, seven, it really shrinks down. I mean, it is quite small compared to other deer. Well, I mean, most places they've been hunted now for, since they were three and a half at the, at the, you know, minimum probably. Right. And so for four years, they, they figure out, Hey, I'm going to get smarter and then they get smarter and then they figure out that. I can be this close to my food and not have to barely move in daylight, which they don't actually think that, but you know, I'm just, I'm just talking out loud. They find that safe zone and they stay in that safe zone. Right. And then there's a reason why they've made it to that age because they've done smart things and, um, figured it out. That's right. Yeah. And I was going to ask you that question before you even said anything was, was, Hey, did you notice his area start shrinking as you, as you really started noticing him more every year? And you said it without me having to ask. So that, that's pretty cool. It's something I think all of us have noticed. Um, any pressure deer is is going to um, be smarter as they as they survive every year, and uh, he was obviously no different. So it, it, it's kind of cool to ha- have that backstory of what experiences you had with him the years previous. Even though you weren't necessarily hunting him, you you you, you saw were keeping through track right. You were keeping tabs on him, figured out he was he was getting smarter and obviously growing and now this year he made that big explosion um he disappeared which a lot of by the way greg a lot of my bucks where i'm hunting do the exact same thing when they go hard horned they just they it's like they turn into ghosts for six weeks and 
as long as they come back, I'm good with it. But uh, so it's it's kind of interesting yeah. that that it you know happens to other folks too. And uh, and then once you kind of had that that recite of him, you you started to put that plan together. How are we going to do this? He's he's right. in the middle of the damn farm. He's basically going this way or right. this way from betting to beans or or the other way from betting to beans. And how the hell are we going to do this? And uh, yeah, he had it. He, he was going between two plots. One was a bean field and one was a clover field. So, um, and we we had great access on on the field to the south. We had horrible access to the bean field to the north of his bedding. Um, but that's where the pictures were. I would call it 70, 80 percent of the pictures were going north, and 20 to 30 percent of the pictures were going south. So. You know, you, you, you play the odds, right? I mean, sure. That's all you can really do. Um, and when this massive cold front that, you know, I can't remember when hit uh, the Midwest like it did with a 20-plus degree normal temp of drop and the pressure through the roof, I'm like, it's, it's perfect time because the section still had some green beans on it. They're, the north side had turned to brown, and they're still somewhat in their bachelor groups. So their guards a little bit down. They're still a little bit so-called patternable. So I said, if there's a time to do it, let's do it, you know. And at some point you got to, you know, that as we talk and um, many other podcasts, I, people ask, when, when should you be passive and when, sh- when should you be aggressive? And I think that's a dangerous sword to walk or a dangerous line to walk. Um, but I think sometimes you just have to go all in because if you don't, you'll never know. And uh, I did that with Major League back in uh, 2017. That's another story for another time. Um, but I got super aggressive on him, and it, it paid off as well. Um, and so when you come up with a plan and, you, is, and you've talked over it as much as w- that we, we had, it's the best plan that we can come up with. So you've got to at least go all in and try. And so – we broke every single rule possible as far as access, walked across a bean field that we knew coming out uh, at the end of the night was going to blow our, our, the other part of the farm up. He might as well just take an atomic bomb and blow it up the way we're going to have to walk through this bean field coming out. But I said, you know, we're, we're giving up all of our hunting season. We're going after this deer. So let's just, it is what it is. It's the dumbest thing to do, but we're probably going to have, two maybe three chances to kill him in the spot and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but if we don't try we're never going to know yeah and so we walked across the bean field and walked down this uh, long creek bed and climbed up and um the deer activity was was crazy right away um, a lot of deer on their feet and he was traveling all summer long with with two other bucks pretty consistently and they actually came out and I was like, oh, my gosh, here they are. Where's he at? And he wasn't there. So you got nervous right <laughs> away. Oh, boy. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I got nervous right away. Yeah, I was like, okay, what, you know, what's, what we do, you know, did he bed somewhere different and we blew him out? You know, who knows? And so um, we uh, waited another, I don't know, I'm going to call it, 15 or 20 minutes. I think it, it wasn't 25. It was probably like 20 minutes later. Uh, 
Yeah, because they came out at six, and I shot him at six twenty-five. So uh, those other two bucks came out at six, and he came out about six twenty-one or so. Yeah, and uh, with another buck that he hadn't been running with, and he came to the the fork in the in the mowed pass that we had mowed. And keep in mind, all those uh, does were already out in the field, and those two other bucks uh, that were very mature, and some other uh, three-year-olds that were out there. So we had a, a decent amount of activity in front of us already. And with the Northwest wind, uh, if he was going to go left and put him on the uh, West side of the bean field, he would not be downwind of all the deer on the field. So uh, he took the right path, which was leading us towards the muddy blind, which would then put him due downwind of every single deer on that, on that bean field. And I have no doubt that's why he chose that path because there was only a few deer that evening that did that, Mm -hmm. um, that were some bucks and so forth. But you could tell that what he was doing was methodical, you know, just by his body language. And he, he never broke stride. He was, he was on a mission to cover ground, to get where he wanted to be. Um, and you could see it in the clip, um, that yeah, he never he never broke stride. Yeah, he was um, moving. So he was moving, and so it's the only logical reason I could think of of reason why he picked that path instead of the other one, which was purely to put him down one of everything on the field. So well, makes sense. Um, I mean, he's not only a, a, he's not only using his nose; he's using every other nose of the deer that are downwind of him, or I guess technically upwind no of him, um, as right. as more protection because if if they bust something. He's gone. So that's right. Yeah, I mean that's it's right. pretty smart. Yeah, that's why he's you know six or seven years old. I mean it's not his first rodeo, right? So, right. Um, and then then we had a scrape tree. I don't know if you noticed in the clip about that scrape tree is right at twenty four yards away from the blind, and he just kept walking. And once I saw him come out of the woods, I looked at him. I thought it was him. Uh, Casey got the camera up right away and with his 20 optical zoom, he can get really tight, obviously more than my eyes can. And I'm like, is it him? And he goes out. Oh, it's him. And that's the last time I looked at him. You want to know? Um, <laughs> cause it was the first time that we've seen him on the hoof and I didn't, I didn't want him, uh, as, as we all are as hunters and so hunters so close that once you start focusing on a rack of a deer, it's funny how, their dominance of them just being in front of you completely can change your demeanor and your mindset and control what you, how you think, how you act and all those things. And so I've learned over the years that once I identify him, I just don't even look again. I don't even focus on him. I start going through my shooting regiment and what I need to do to execute. And as I have my peripheral vision, I, I know I start focusing on my shooting lanes and where I'm going to try to pull it off and start realizing where my pins are and what do I need to do. And then once he gets, you know, to a spot that I know I can draw, I draw and then I don't look at the rack. I just put it on my spot and, and focus on it and then cut the Matthews loose. Yeah. And the rest is, you know, DOD history. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, that's great. So you shot him right around 630-ish then? Yeah, 625. 
So on October 1st, it's about, what, an hour or so before last light, especially if you were yeah, in the it's open. Yeah, about 40. Yeah. And yep. I think yep. that's it's about 7.15. Okay, is, yeah. Is getting close to camera light. Yep. So 7.15, so that's, 50 minutes. That's exactly why. And we just had an episode about hunting nocturnal bucks, quote unquote. And that's exactly why you, you, you look for those big change in weather. Because had you had you hunted him, uh, let's just say the night before when it was 20 degrees hotter and maybe the pressure was lower and that cold front hadn't hit, mm-hmm. I bet you he comes out about an hour after dark or, or whatever. He's not, I wouldn't argue. You know, not moving as early because he doesn't really want to or, or have mm-hmm. a need to. But when those, those big changes happen, it seems to get them on their feet, uh, or some of them at least, it on does. their feet. And when he's not really traveling that far from his his bedding or his core, uh, that right. gives you the oppor- the chance to to make that happen. So, I think that that was pretty cool because we had just talked about that with Josh right. uh, about Josh Honeycutt about hunting nocturnal bucks and and some of the things you can do. And Greg then just basically told us exactly what, the same yeah. thing. Yeah, he, absolutely. He looked for that change. They had the opportunity. They were already set up for it and waited for it. And they capitalized on it. And they it. capitalized on it. Yeah. Um, instead of just – and you're right, Greg, sometimes you got to just do it, but you also can't just do it um, recklessly. Yeah, you can You can only get away with that so many times before <laughs> right. you screw something up. Uh, one question I had, did you – after you moved that blind in there with the tractor and stuff, I'm, ass, I'm assuming you had a trail camera close by. Did you happen – I'm assuming if you didn't, you didn't, but if you did – did you happen to notice when when you moved that uh, blind in there, how soon after you moved it did that buck start returning to that area? Was it immediate? Uh, we, yeah, w- well, we, I, we, did, we didn't know that until we pulled the cards um, the, the next day. Um, but he was, he was there uh, a day after we set the blind. Um, he had walked by the blind twice before we were there so he was confident in his area yeah and well and that also goes back to the uh, he fact, was not concerned and that yeah. also goes back to um track i mean the, what we said about tractors you know if you're gonna if you have the opportunity and you have the luxury of having a tractor to do work and stuff like that it really does mask the work that you're doing because i mean it's farm ground they see tractors all the time it they're not concerned that's about right. those so yeah they're not a threat it, in their there it's not it's not threatening to them so i mean if you if you're no. around farm country and can use tractors i mean that's a good opportunity to get away with a lot of stuff yeah yeah sorry we went off on a tangent there but it just made me think about no. you know the, the the time you shot him and the the shift in weather you had that day or that that 24 hours before at least to to make that decision to get in there, you know, that, that's exactly why I, I saw the same thing happen. Uh, was it last Friday? So October 2nd, actually, I think, uh, I couldn't go hunting last Friday, which was the day after that change here in Missouri. And had I been sitting in my stand on Friday night instead of Saturday night, he was sitting in front of my tree at six forty, six forty, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So and, right there. You know, that's that is what it is. That's sometimes you got family stuff, you you don't get to go hunting. So yeah. um yeah. you know, you have those changes. So anyway, uh you, you make the shot and uh, obviously it's on camera and, and I, I can tell it's a good shot. <laughs> but 
you know, what was going through your mind as soon as you made that shot? And, you know, what, what did y'all do afterwards? Uh, what kind of your process? You after know, that? I, I, I'm a very conservative person. So when I, when I don't see, when I don't see an animal go down in the line of sight, I, I really get concerned. Um, and he ran off, uh, and he got inside the timber or thicket and made a hard left turn. I, I, we saw him kind of wobble once he got into the thicket and then he disappeared. He didn't fall cause we saw him, his, his rack go behind a big bush slash tree. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I thought I smoked him. Um, and then I had second, second guess myself because if he, if he truly was smoked, he ran, call it about 90, 95 yards. No, actually it would have been, so I'd been 25. So subtract. So it would have been about 75 yards from where I hit him to uh, 75 to 85 yards from where I hit him to the wood line uh, that he came from, he went back into. So I was like, if I don't see him go down in that period, it's, it's, it's a possible he may or not be double lung, but usually double lung, they usually fall within a hundred or 125. So he still was in that realm of possibility that I did double lung him, but I didn't see him go down. So we're very conservative. And, um, I said, it's for sure liver, um, onside and, and offside lung because he was quartering away, if mm-hmm. not double lung. So I know, I said, I know he's, it's a fatal hit. It's fatal. Just the question is, you know, how, 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 how much and how long we got to wait. Right. And so we shot him at six twenty-five. So we waited until we waited two hours in the blind. I wanted it to be completely dark without a shadow of a dart, without a shadow of a doubt that when we walked out of blind, I didn't want anything to be able to see us. And so at eight thirty, we got out of the blind. I went to the arrow. Um, it looked good. Um, but the blood was not what I was hoping to see. Uh, we tracked it for maybe 20, 20 yards. And I was like, you know, I'm not really liking what the amount of blood I'm seeing. So let's go ahead and get out of, get out of here. And, um, let's go sit on this till who knows when, and we're going to go back and put the, the, the footage on a TV so we can really break it down and, and look. <clears throat> um, yeah. and so we did that and, um, then we came back at uh, 1130. So that had been five hours and picked up the blood trail. And if I would have went another 20 yards, <laughs> the blood just started picking up. I mean, it was, it was, you know, a, a blind man could follow it. <laughs> um, and so the more we start tracking, I'm like, okay, there's no way this deer can handle this. And so we got to the point where we saw him go in and lost him. Well, from that point, he was another, I don't know, 15 maybe yards from that point where we lost him. So I think he was dead within, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe five right, minutes. Right. I don't know. Let, let less than 30. No, no question about it. Um, so it was a pretty short and easy no, no stress track job, which is the, the ones you want. Um, but of a deer of that caliber, you know, you just want to err on caution. So if he's dead in 30 minutes, he'll be dead in five. So, yeah. Um, and you want to give and, them that, and uh, it was, what do you call it? You want to give them that respect to, to expire. I mean, let them, let them, uh, die instead of, 
harassing him. You know, yeah, harassing him because he he was almost dead, and you walk up on him, and now he's he's gonna fight for his life because that's what deer do, and he's gonna get up and right. try to live, and you just made it harder on him. I'll I'll never forget making a big mistake, and I'm just like you now, Greg. I'm I'm conservative about stuff because of something I did a few years ago where I I shot a deer that I actually thought I've totally missed. And so I, I immediately got down to go check the shot site to, to just basically make sure I missed. And not only had I hit that deer, he only ran about 20 yards from where I shot him, where I couldn't see. And he was standing there and I bumped him and he, he suffered almost that entire night because of me. And mm. I, I said to mm. myself after that, I'm not doing that ever again. You know, I, I sh- it was stupid of me. I, I shouldn't have assumed I had missed him. Um, and you just kind of think about those things going forward. And you're, you're right. I really like watching them die in front of me because then you don't have to worry about, it's you know, are they you. suffering or, or something like that or second guessing your shot. Uh, sure makes it a lot easier when you can go back to the house and watch film, watch yeah. the film. No doubt. That's another positive of filming things uh for people that are thinking about it but yeah um true so one of my favorite things about these tales of chase episodes is really giving the animal that we're talking about in that episode the spotlight and and talking about that animal so when when you put your hands on triple play for the first time explain your happiness everything that was going through your mind or at least what you can remember and then Let's let's try to really paint that picture about this gorgeous deer to people that are listening. That if they never saw a picture of him, what what is he like? Um, you know, it's the 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 amount of work and strategy and um, effort that goes into this stuff. Uh, for those that are listening, you know, that are truly passionate about the sport, get it. And the ones that don't, I'm sorry, but you probably can't relate. And so when you turn the corner and you see the white tail, or in my case, it was the belly that I had, the white belly that I had seen, uh, I don't know, I don't know what I said, but it was pretty damn loud. Um, <laughs> I think it's on, I think it's on the clip, but, um, it was just relief. It was, you know, elation and, you know, to be candid and honest with you, I, I, I have to give credit to Casey Morgan as well, because, uh, you know, he's pulling the wagon in this situation just as hard as I am. And it was a pretty, pretty cool moment for the both of us um, to when you set out a goal to chase one animal and that's your number one focus for the year. And you basically commit and say it's, you know, all in or bust. Um, Mark Drury hates it when I say that, because more often than not, you're not going to be successful because it's just it's, you're just not. <laughs> they win most of the time. And they do. They do. And but if but if you don't go committed and you don't really dedicate it, you really won't know if you go, you know, half ass at it. Well, then what's the point? So if you're going to go, you know, put your chips all in and go all in and see what you can do. And and we did that. And when you're rewarded in such a way, and uh, I, I think you see it on the clip, uh, Mark and Coondog actually asked if they could come along because Mark was just jacked up when he heard I, I hit him. He's like, man, if, if, if you don't mind, I would love to come along because I don't get to see a, you know, a deer of this magnitude you know, all that often. So 
they were there and they were laughing and having fun and enjoying the moment with ourselves. But when I grabbed his rack and everything was just bigger than I had thought from the Reconics pictures, the beam was longer. His points were more crazier than I had thought. His, his mass around his bases were uh, well over seven inches. I think they're seven and a quarter. Um, I my couldn't God. get my hands around them. Um, just everything was bigger and more prominent and more just of awe of him when I sat next to him. It, I think I said something like, the more I look at him, the more it, it amazes me because I, I didn't see this in the Reconics pictures. There was no ground shrinkage is what you're and, saying. <laughs> oh, it, it was, you know, I would think I was in shock and in awe, and there was parts that I, I think in the clip that I'm very quiet because I was just set back by the whole moment. And looking at him, I was like, I've never seen anything like it this before. And then you get to sit next to him. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's truly a blessing, and we're extremely lucky and um, very blessed to, to be able to do that. Yeah. I think that's that's awesome. He he is definitely a gorgeous deer and and you know one thing I want to relate to the the listeners Triple Play uh scored a I think a 233 and 7/8 if I remember correctly on the post and that is Correct. obviously a huge deer. But every every animal harvested is a trophy and you know people right. really need to treat them as such. Um I cannot stand when someone says he's no trophy, but should have let him go. Yeah, should have let him go another year or something like that. Pisses me off to no end because yes, it is. You you harvested that animal. Be happy, and and uh, whether it's a 120 inch deer or a 233 and seven eighths or a doe, you made the decision to take that animal's life. It is a trophy now, and and they should be treated as such. So, um, whether we're talking about yeah, go ahead. No, I'll, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. I was just saying, you know, whether we're talking about a world-class deer like this one or any of our other Tales of Chase episodes that we discuss, I mean, not every deer is going to be like like triple play. They're all a trophy, and it some some people are, are after bigger deer than others. And, uh, Greg, you and I were talking about a deer that I'm, I might be after this year that I, I believe to be eight years old who broke off most of his rack in August and shrunk this year from last year. And so I'm talking about a deer now that might be 70 inches that I, I very well may harvest because of what he is, not because of how big antlers are. It's not the, always and, that. Now that definitely is a, a very uh, positive uh, extra, I guess, right. you know, but it's, it's about what you're choosing to do, whether you choose to fill the freezer with a doe and whatever, or whether you choose to go after mature bucks, it's it's what what drives you to be the best outdoorsman you you can be. And in this case, you're you're doing a lot of what we do, which is going after mature bucks and trying to harvest what you think is a, is a mature animal. So, um, I, big congratulations! And uh, you know whatever you were getting ready to say, go ahead because I I think it's a great continuation on that topic. No, and I agree 100% with you. We, we, we chase age first. Um, we, we really focus on um, six and older is our goal. Um, 
And and you're right. You know, a famous saying that I I don't remember who told me this, but we're part time hunters chasing full time deer, and uh, the one thing that a deer does every single day when they wake up is to survive. Mm-hmm. That is their number one goal. That's what they're here to do, and they know their surroundings better than we do. And when you when you harvest any animal with a bow or gun. Um, it is it is a feat to to accomplishment. It's a, a feat to be recognized and a and a feat to appreciate, because it is not easy to do, regardless if it's a one year old or an eight year old deer. They're very hard to do, and you should be proud of whatever you uh, tip over, because it truly is an accomplishment and it's good natural meat for the family as well and friends wherever you want to share it with. So there's multiple positives to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and then he's, you know, just such a gorgeous deer. Do you want to explain to folks now, obviously I'm going to release a, and the photos are out there obviously already, but you want to explain to folks his rack, which sure. I think it's cool how you named him triple play, um, which makes complete sense. But um, just for anybody that's trying to paint a picture of him driving in their car right now and hasn't seen him, you know, what does he kind of sure. look like? Uh, he, he's very uh, non-typical. Um, you know, his, his right side, his right main beam was, uh, uh, basically 23 and a half. His left main beam was, uh, almost 20 and a half. His bases, uh, on both sides, uh, were over seven on both. Um, and he's just got absolute trash everywhere you look. And then the really unique part of why we named him, um, he, he's got a third main beam coming off and uh, that was almost 13 inches long and that has a drop time coming off of that uh, third main beam that I believe I'm going off memory here but I believe that was just short of six inches or five and a half inches um, so and he's got just constant points everywhere it was 23 scorable points um, which I did not see that in in the trail pictures because of velvet and so forth and you never get that many angles in the trail picture but the more we looked at them um that evening um we'll put it this way uh we found them at call 11 30 midnight uh we did not lay our heads down on the pillow till 4 (laughs) a.m i was gonna say you probably (laughs) didn't sleep obviously a I didn't. Uh, I went to bed at 4 a.m. and then we had to get up to do the rest of the production at 7 a.m. And I didn't. I told Casey, "I go to sleep much." He goes, "Not much." I go, "Was did you?" And I go, "I honestly don't think I slept. I may have closed my eyes, but I don't think I really slept because um, I was so jacked up and and so excited that we pulled this thing off. And not only pulled it off, we pulled it on opening day and night number one. I mean. It's just like if, if Tom Brady was to draw up the, the play for fourth and 20 for, you know, the Super Bowl touchdown, we, we nailed it. And that was just really, uh, I guess, call it lucky. Uh, I don't know what else to do than say that. But uh, the deer was a one-of-one. One. Um, he ended up going, uh, he's the third largest deer in DOD history. Um, he is the second largest deer ever taken with a bow. Um, David Lindsay has the number two deer at 235 and change. Um, and this one is coming at 233 and seven eighths, but David got his with a muzzle loader. Um, so, uh, pretty special company. 
when you're looking at 31 years of DOD history, um, yeah. not that size, you know, is all that important, but it seems is what we all seem to want to talk about. So, um, just a very, very unique and special Midwestern whitetail that, um, uh, definitely will be appreciated from Casey and I for a long time and the stories that are coming out of it, you know, we're still pinching ourselves that we, uh, we're driving home and I'm like, you know, I just can't believe the journey's over. You know, the journey is 99% part of the destination, right? It's, right. It's, that's where the struggles are. That's where the highs and lows are. And, and the harvesting is kind of the cherry on the Sunday. And, and we're laughing. I can't believe we did it and it's over. And he goes, well, it's day one or day 20. Does it matter? And I said, no, it doesn't. But <laughs> you know, you kind of want to have a, have a little bit of a grind to, yeah, it's October 1st. What am I going to do the, the rest time, of the month? So. Like, I better get some well, other states going. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's exactly what we said. So uh, it was kind of funny how that conversation um, kind of went down the path that you're mentioning. So, but um, it's been fun. Um, the, the amount of support, the amount of congratulations, and with social media through Instagram and so forth, the overwhelming. Um, words that we've received um uh, i can't say thank you uh doesn't cover it it's been really really cool yeah well much appreciated he's a he's a great deer i mean a, a gorgeous deer and his name is perfectly fitting for for what he looks like and um i think that's a perfect opportunity to talk about nicknaming deer also <laughs> because now uh and i think our listeners know this that i am a huge fan of nicknaming deer micah is not a huge fan so now I've it. got Greg Glessinger on the line, <laughs> who also nicknames Deer. So it obviously is a good idea. And I, I think uh, uh, Greg and I were kind of talking about this earlier, joking about it, and uh, about why you start nicknaming Deer. And, and uh, I just thought it was funny to give you a hard time now, Micah, about... I mean, that's fine. They each their own. <laughs> I, I mean... That's just, I mean, I would have called him the freak or something like that. The the big one, the big, the big deer. The big deer, you know, yeah. that big one. Yeah, the yeah. big guy. <laughs> What's funny is I nickname deer and then I'll tell Micah the names of the deer and he's like, I don't know which one that is. I, I don't pay <laughs> He doesn't pay attention yeah, enough. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, if he, if he'd say, hey, yeah, the big 10, be like, okay, I know, I know you got two 10 pointers or whatever. I know which one's the bigger one of the two. That makes sense to me. <laughs> so, but yeah. So I'm just glad that you about, nicknamed it's more deer. about having fun. I, I 100% <laughs> agree fun with it. Yeah, no, it you is. Know? It's so. a, it's a lot of fun to nick, to nickname deer, obviously. And it, it is, uh, it is beneficial. I mean, I think it's, it is. you know, when you're hunting a property with somebody else, uh, especially right. like you and Casey, uh, talking yep. about him and stuff, it's, it's a lot easier to say, yep. Hey, you know, triple play we're going after him today and, and Casey doesn't have to go, what deer are you talking about? It's, oh yeah, I know exactly, exactly what you're talking about. And I'm pretty sure anybody, if you exactly. mentioned that deer to anybody, I'm pretty sure they know which one you talk, they were talking about. You know about, that big but, bastard? Yeah. <laughs> that one. The one yeah, the, I guess you're right on that one. The one with the three main beams that's, you know, over 200 inches. I'm pretty sure they'd get it. <laughs> you make a solid point too, Micah. You make a solid point too. That's all I'm saying. So, so what is also awesome about this is... Not only have we mentioned it a few times, but um, just so everybody knows, you just heard the story. You also have the option, the opportunity to watch the the uh, the hunt unfold and, and see this uh, beautiful beast uh, get harvested. So you want to tell everybody kind of how they can 
to access uh, the video and, and what they can do in order to, to check that out? You bet. So if you have the elite or pro version of DeerCast, which is Drury Outdoors' new app, um, you can go on there and you'll be able to see, I think it's like a four-minute clip um, of, of the hunt and uh, some harvest pictures as well. Um, the, basically the highlight of the hunt. So the impact shot, him walking uh, out of the timber and so forth. Um, and then a little bit of the recovery as well. Um, but it is, it is some, Casey did a, you know, on a scale of one to 10, he, 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 he did a 20, you know, it takes two of us to be successful because there's a lot of deer over our years that have been saved because I'm on them or the camera guys off or vice versa. And to get everybody in sync on a deer like this is not an easy thing to do. So uh, I got to give him credit where credit is definitely earned and definitely due because uh, it was, you could cut the air in the knife in that side of the blind. I mean, it was uh, extremely tense. And um, I told him later, I said, the only missing would have been somebody farting to lighten up the mood in there because it was, <laughs> it was, it was pretty damn tense. So, you know, uh, it takes one thing for it not to go your way. And uh, we're lucky enough not for that to happen. So, yeah. Um, you know, I couldn't have done it without Casey for sure because he, uh, he's steady on the camera and does a phenomenal job. And as you see the footage, you'll, you'll, I, I assume you'll agree with me. He did a bang up job. So, um, it takes two to make this all work. Yeah. And then you can go, uh, if you want to, you know, check any of the, the, uh, uh, jury hunts as well. They're, they're all on there as they, as we harvest them, they get posted within traditionally 24 to 72 hours. The trophy picks go up usually about 24 to 48 hours after harvest. And then a, a small uh, video or edited part of the hunt will go up within 24 to 72 hours of, of the hunt. And then most of our jury guys are on Instagram. You can just search jury outdoors. If you want to follow myself, you can uh, follow uh, Greg G R E G uh, Glessinger G L E S I N G E R uh, jury outdoors. And you can look me up on Instagram and we, we kind of follow our season along pretty good and, and give some, you know, tips and ideas as we work through the season. Yeah. And, um, if, if you guys have any questions from the listeners that want to reach out to me directly, that would be the best way to do it is just DM me, uh, through Instagram. And, um, if I don't get back to you right away, be patient. Uh, this last uh, handful of days have been overwhelming. So I greatly appreciate the feedback and any questions, and I'll do my best to, to answer them uh, the best I can in a timely fashion because I'm, I'm still learning too. Um, you know, I've learned, I've learned a ton uh, in the last, you know, 10 or 12 years. So um, I, I still listen to guys' stories and – they still blow me away and I'm still learning. So I've yeah. always said the more we share from a technical and understanding of whitetail movement from the mental game to food plot architectural to just strategy of the hunt, uh, the better off we're all going to be because, you know, everybody kind of takes their own strategies and kind of molds them into their own. But the more you talk about them, you might steal 5% from this guy or 2% and it's going to sharpen your toolbox for your next season or next fall. So, um, I think it's paying it forward that, uh, 
you know, guys help me and it's time for me to help somebody else. Yeah. So you learn I'll something be happy to uh, do so. Yeah. Sorry for cutting you off my bad, but, um, yeah, no, you, you learn something from, from every story, whether it's a, a successful story or, or a, a failure, quote unquote, um, you do learn something from, from everything you hear, which is, you know, why, why Mike and myself and Andy started this podcast is we love learning and hearing other people's perspective and, and, uh, and things on that. And we really do, uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, what's crazy is on the, on the DeerCast app, your, your video is actually quite a ways down already. And it's only been what a week. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, I know, team, uh, wasn't the it? Is- yeah. They're just getting after it. Wasn't it? Um, his daughter is her name Taylor. My bad for forgetting yep. that, but I think yep. she harvested yep. a pretty awesome one uh, shortly she after did. you. And you know, it's uh, it's you actually have to scroll a little yeah, bit to find his. So uh, quite a few on there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and don't. There's all kinds of videos you can watch that some have some awesome deer um, hitting the ground already. So you know, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna share this one tip with 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 your listeners because it's been the number one question I'm, I've been receiving on on my DMs from from Instagram. Um, which is as you watch the hunt and as he walks in front of blind, he's plus or minus 23 yards away. Um, and, uh, he's, he's a slow, steady walk. And, um, some people agree with this move and some people disagree and they're asking why. And I'll tell you why, which is I did not stop the deer. Mm -hmm. I did not, uh, you know, whistle at him. I did not. Uh, some people use kissing, uh, in a very soft kiss. Some use a very soft map or, you know, grunt. Um, but you know, I think all of our past experiences molds our future experiences or our future decisions. And years ago I had a deer that was, uh, inside of like 18 yards and I did a really soft grunt with my mouth at him and he absolutely came out of his skin and bolted 60, 70 yards away, stopped and then looked back. And that has been burned in my memory ever <laughs> since. And, and even Mark asked me after reviewing the footage before we went and tracked him, uh, he asked me, he goes, why didn't you try to stop him? And I told him the story and, and he just, he didn't have nothing to say because we all have our own experiences that, that we mold ourselves from. And I'm not saying my decision was right. I'm not saying it was wrong, but what I can tell you is that, um, we did execute everything to a T. Um, and so I think when you, when you go to make a sound to a, to a white tail that is that close to you, it's probably a 50, 50 chance. He's going to stay there and freeze and look at you, or he's going to bolt and come out of his skin and run 50, 60, 70 yards and then stop and look back. And I didn't want to take that chance. And I've practiced all summer long with my Matthews VXR. I was very confident that I could put the pin in and slowly move as he walked and release the arrow. If I didn't have that confidence, I wouldn't have done it, but I had hundred percent confidence I could pull it off. And obviously um, it did fall my way, yeah. but I think it goes back to sharing experiences and you're only as good as what you experience. And that kind of molds us all. Um, but that's the number one question I'm getting asked is, and now you know why I'll be dang. Yeah. And I, I noticed that in the video and I mean, I didn't think much of it cause of the shot was uh, exactly where you wanted it. Um, 
you know, I think, and that's where practice comes into play. You, you prepare for that moment. So if you're somebody who's prepared for that, and that's a shot you can make. Yeah, and you're confident in your shot, sure. But if you're one of those guys that pick your bow up two weeks before season, that's probably not something you want to try. Yeah. So Yeah, the preparation matters for that moment there. It's it's just like any other sport. I think that's why a lot of people who played sports growing up like hunting as well because it's there's preparation and then there's game time. And game time is only a minor percentage of the amount of time you put in. And um, when you are confident with your bow, you can do things like what you did. And, um, yeah, it, when it works, it really makes you feel good about the decision you made, too. <laughs> no doubt. So. Yeah, but I can, I can see why people are questioning the decision, and I can see why people maybe don't, don't agree with the decision. Um, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I did what I thought was right in the moment of truth. And, you know, as we all know, when that happens, you have a few seconds, literally seconds to make your mind up yeah. and you have to decide what you're going to do. And that was the decision I made and it ended up working out. So, um, who knows if he would have bolted and ran 40 or 60 or 50 yards away, but we'll never know. Right. But. We know he's I, I dead. took the conservative way, which was, you know, I, I always try to kill, try to harvest animals when they're doing their natural thing, which is feeding or milling through a, a timber line or whatever it may be. I, tr- I try not to uh, bap at them or grunt at them in any way um, unless I absolutely positively have to. Because the minute you do that is the minute you expose your location. And the minute that you're exposed is the minute they're at full alert and they've got you dialed in. And now there's a good, strong possibility that they're going to jump the string even worse. And they're, every single whitetail that I've ever harvested jumps the string. Now, they may only jump the string one or two inches or barely move because the arrow's hitting them as they're coming down. Or if it's a long shot, they may drop you know, 18 or 24 inches. It's hard to say depending on distance. Right. But the minute you let, the minute you announce yourself or let them know you're there, they now are somewhat more can control the situation than you are because they can move so dang fast. Yeah, they can. If you go back, if you go back to my last year's hunt on the 194, I shot him at 49 yards and I had to stop him because he was walking away. I had no choice. And he was on an edge of a food plot. I put the 50-yard pin at his belly, just above his belly. So if he wasn't going to drop, I was going to be just right at his heart or below his heart. But I was banking he was going to drop. And that deer dropped 18 to 24 inches to the point that when the arrow hit him, it was dead center mass high to low. So... That thought process has to happen when you're when you're going through those checkpoints as you're at full draw or about to release the arrow. And I noticed it on that one, and I looked at Casey. And I'm like, if I don't put that that pin where I put it, it's over his back. And that's the one thing I hate about stopping deer, is because they are so fast. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you, those are all things that. You well, you really learn those things as you as you get more experience hunting, uh, more than anything. But 
hopefully stories like this make you think about when you when you see the deer you want to harvest there's a there's a lot of things you you really should start thinking about which for me and i'm just talking about me that helps me with this the the thing people talk about with target panic when i'm thinking about everything i need to do with my bow going through my my steps you know all those things when i'm thinking about all right is he quartered away to me broadside um how how steep is my angle because you know is he 20 yards is he two yards is he 40 all those things you learn from experience or or learning from from somebody else um and i don't was it you somebody talked to me about jumping string a long time before i ever even shot my first deer and it makes complete sense and i'm also one of those that i don't stop them unless i have to i usually try to let them do their own thing and i got lucky with the one two years ago um actually the other deer spooked and he ran right into my spot and then he stopped but hey it's better to be lucky than good sometimes (laughs) but uh so you're right. right. I mean, you know, make making decisions based on what you know and what you've experienced. If you're a guy that's stopped a deer 10 times and it's worked every time, he might disagree with what you did, but you had something 100%. happen that you'll you'll never forget and can you imagine if you tried to stop triple play and he took off on you on that in that moment. Uh, <laughs> that could have been it for the well, season. You don't know. It's over. It's over because now you've exposed yourself. Now he's afraid of the blind. You've educated him. You you might as well hang it up. You're going to have to completely change your strategy of how you're going to hunt him if 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 you even have a chance to. Yeah. So there's just so much risk reward factor. And I'm saying what you should do is the right way. I know there's everybody has different ways of hunting and everybody is very successful with different tactics and strategies. I'm just telling you what I've experienced and what's worked for me. Doesn't mean it's the only way. And I wish, Um, I wish everybody would approach it in that manner. Right. I mean, we have, you've probably experienced this with what you do as a professional. I mean, there's no one way to skin a cat and you know, on our podcast, we've talked about this before and I always say the term, I could give a shit how you hunt, right? Like what you do for your experience is what you do. And I mean, for Greg and Micah and Nate and everybody listening, what what you're getting out of the experience is what you're getting. So whether you choose to hunt with a rifle, a, a crossbow, a longbow, a yeah. compound, people That's fight right. about what weapon they choose. People fight about, you know, harvesting, you know, if it's brown, it's down, or harvesting mature animals. I really wish that would stop because it, it's about yeah. the experience you're having. And if it's, yeah. if it's, hey, I chose to do this on a tactic because this is what Works I've I've done before, it doesn't make someone an idiot or smarter because that was the choice they made. Now, they might be able to learn from it if it didn't go well, but right. I, I wish some people, you know, sometimes people are really, really judgmental about decisions others make when they weren't there and they had nothing to do with it. And I really wish they'd, they'd uh, sometimes shut their mouths about it, but it's, it's, uh, Haters going to hate, man. <laughs> Haters going to hate. <laughs> so I really, I, I really well, do appreciate you, know, it, you it, bringing that up. It's it's really it's really difficult to walk in somebody's shoes when when you've never done it um, because every situation is different when you know whether whether it's a, a hundred and thirty or two hundred class deer if if, it, if it's your biggest deer um, of your life at that point it, it's irrelevant of the size because the emotion is the same right and everybody handles that emotion and that mental stress completely different 
and you cannot walk in those shoes and say, well, I would have done this. I would have done that. Oh, really? Would you have? <laughs> did, did, do you have the, the mental capacity to do that? You say you do, but until you're in that situation, you really don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and it, let me tell you, it's extremely stressful. It is your, I mean, I think in the video, you won't hear it on the video of uh, the clip that's on DeerCast, but on the full video, you will hear me swallow. I mean, it sounds like I beat a drum. That's how <laughs> loud the swallow is, is because I am, my, my heart's coming through my chest. And I was like, I've got to, I've got to calm down. Right. You know, you've got to talk yourself into a normal, when I say normal, that's unrealistic, but you've got to talk yourself off the ledge. Yeah. And everybody said, well, I won't have a problem doing that. Well, maybe you're right, but I'm probably guessing you're not right. Um, because everybody gets, if you don't get excited when you're about to harvest any animal, I don't care if it's a mature doe or a Pope and young buck, it's irrelevant. If you don't get excited when you're about to cut an arrow loose or pull the trigger, it's probably time for you to exit the sport. <laughs> yeah. Right. Why are you doing it? Yeah. No, I agree Why with you. Why are you doing it? Uh, uh, unless you're in a situation where you need to feed the family and, and you're doing it for, obviously, those situations. That's a different conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. But, well, and, you know. And, like, once again, I mean, it, it's a it's an opportunity to learn from somebody. I, I, I take every opportunity to, to learn something from from someone else instead of judge them on what the the decision they made that I had nothing to do with by the way I wasn't there and I mean very few things piss me off about the only thing that does is when somebody wastes an animal mm -hmm. um, you know when somebody shoots sure. something and leaves it lay because it wasn't what they thought or or they waste the meat sure then I will be judgmental but uh, so I guess I am right. a little bit of a uh, what is that. Yeah. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth when I say that because I guess I can be judgmental for certain things, but um, how you do something is is how you do it. I mean, no judgmental on that part. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I I I saw that and I I noticed it and it's I I didn't think twice about it, but when you brought it up, it's it's a really cool point that you make, and I'm sure there are people that have that question because uh, there's a lot of folks that might have stopped him and and. Uh, uh, you obviously didn't, and you were ready to 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 make the shot. It was and it worked. It worked good. <laughs> Perfect shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, and I think it's it's a, it's a it's another podcast, and I'm happy to get on with you at another time because obviously we're we're going a little longer than we we had hoped. But you know, the the mental game of bow hunting is something that is never discussed. It's not talked about. It's not shared. You know, for you to be a good archer, you got. The, the equipment today, uh, you know, we're lucky enough to be shooting Matthews and they're great bows and all that stuff. And there's a lot of great manufacturers out there today. There's a ton of them mm -hmm. um, that really make an average guy really good if you put the time in. And if you really want to be a great archer, you just practice a lot. It's really not that difficult. It's just repeat, 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 repeat. And guys have different forms and so forth. I, I, I was on a having a conversation with a gentleman. He said, well, what's your form like? And I said, my form doesn't matter. I said, it's no different than these pro golfers. Pro, have you ever seen a pro golfer with the same swing? No, they're all different. But what I can tell you is they repeat every single one of them extremely well. That's why they're so good because they're consistent. Absolutely. Right. And they, right. 
So I said, it doesn't really matter what I do. It matters what you do, but you got to figure out what makes you comfortable and then make it repeatable, which is, which is simple, relatively simple. The problem with bow hunting is it's not how good you are as an archer because that can be fixed through time and through practice. The problem with, with archery hunting is our mental game is extremely hard. It's not easy to keep your wits about yourself when you go to full draw to take an animal's life. Because more often than not, we all lose our mental state and we can't think, we can't move. We get, I guess, dominated by the animal that's in front of us and we don't do things that we think we should do. And we get target panic, we put the pin somewhere else, we have a bad shot, we squeeze the trigger hard, we torque the bow left or right too much. Well, there's 8 million things to go wrong. And that's one thing that I wish we would talk more about is the mental game. Yeah. Because nobody does. And that's a great idea for a show. We, we just might take you up on that. That, that yeah. is a heck of an idea. Absolutely. I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about it because um, uh, ever since I harvested uh, Major League uh, in 2017, which was my first 200-inch deer, that's when I realized the mental game was more important than the physical game. And I can break this down. I have it in three segments that I've already done. Um, talked to some people about it. And it's when I broke it down in three different segments, they're like, oh, that makes sense. Um, but that's another, that's another podcast for another day. And I'll be happy to jump on and talk about it because I, I wish I had somebody tell me what I've experienced and what I, I guess, kind of formulated now through my experiences that I'm willing to share. I wish someone would have told me this years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and no, nobody's talking about it. Nobody is. Find me, find me one book, one podcast, one, anything that talks about the mental game of bow hunting. Not, I'm not talking about target. I'm not talking about going on the pro circuit. I'm talking about the emotional side of taking an animal's life. There's nobody talking about it. Probably because we're all mental wrecks whenever we <laughs> have a deer in front of us. That's we don't want to admit issue. it. <laughs> no, yeah. but, 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 but like I said, if, if that doesn't happen when you're 20 feet in the tree, then it's time for you to exit the sport. Yeah. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that everybody who's in this sport that we love so much, that's what it, the, the adrenaline rush that we get is my wife asked me, what, what, what is it that attracts you? And I say it's uncomprehendable or what the feeling is at the moment of truth. I can't explain it. It's through the roof. If, if we could bottle it up and can it and sell it at Costco, we'd be millionaires. Right. But yeah. that's not possible. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's a true addiction. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the most fun part about the hunt half the time is that, that moment you see them. So no, I, I, uh, I a hundred percent agree. And, um, Mike and I can't thank you enough for sharing that story. It's a, it's a great story. It's obviously a great deer. Um, you know, we love, we love listening to these types of stories, um, success stories, you know, even failure stories at some point, I think it would be a good idea for people to hear too. So, um, yeah, uh, give, give Greg a, a follow on Instagram at his handle that he mentioned earlier. We'll, we'll tag you with everything as well whenever we re release the sure. episode, but, you bet. um, it's a, it's a great story. Um, we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing it with us. And, uh, you know, when we started this podcast a few months ago, 
um, we look up to, to people like uh, yourself and, and others in the industry. And so we, we appreciate you coming on and spending time with us and, and giving people this story. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. And, and thankfully you guys uh, gave me a, sh- uh, a shout to, to, uh, to come on the show. I, I appreciate it. And what you guys are doing is spreading the word of, you know, the way the outdoors should be lived and the lifestyle that it, it should be followed by. And thank you for you guys for taking the time um, out of your guys's day um, to do what you do. Um, it's, it's very much appreciated. And, and I, I thank you. No problem, man. You got anything else, Micah? Nope. Thank you very much. All right, Greg, have a good night, man. Thank you guys. All right. Alrighty. That's it for that one. That was an awesome tales of the chase. It had a little bit of everything in there. I'm really starting to like like these. These are these are these, these are, are the my jams. Tactic ones and these ones are my favorite. Yeah, they're fun. Not to take away uh, any of the other ones that we've done, but these are the ones that keep me the most intrigued. I guess. Right. I guess that's are the most. Yeah, I'm yeah. sick of you falling asleep over there. So it's kind of <laughs> nice when you actually you know contribute well, to this. Well, I, and these are probably the ones I contribute the least because. Mostly, it's the guests talking talking the most, which is, that's what we want. We want them to paint that picture. Less of us talking, the better. Yeah, yeah. We want them to paint that picture so that you guys can visually, you know, do your best to visualize what actually happens. And I think uh, Craig does a great job uh, painting the picture today on an awesome deer. I mean, once in a lifetime type buck. What a freak. Yeah, just. If I ever have a deer like that in front of me in my life. I would pee. I'll count that as a win right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, just to see one of those things out in nature, you know, not behind a high fence or anything like that, that's yeah. that's something. Yeah. So, you know, congrats to him. He did a great job uh, yep. painting the story and everything like that. So, And we really appreciate him coming on and sharing with us. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you guys on the next one, I guess. Yep, we'll see you guys. Peace.